Welcome to the season 2 of the India Energy R podcast. The India Energy R podcast explores the most pressing hurdles and promising opportunities of India's energy transition through an in-depth discussion on policies, financial markets, social movements and science. The podcast is hosted by energy transition researcher and author Dr. Sandeep Pai and senior energy and climate journalist Shreya Jai. The show is produced by multimedia journalist Tejas Dayananda Sagar. Increased heat, drought, wildfires are all linked to climate change. Climate change has altered the physical geography in rural areas by disappearing flora and fauna and other natural habitats that constitutes the livelihood of the local people. In order to understand the ground reality of climate impact in rural areas, we spoke with M Raghuram, senior journalist from Karnataka, Suchita Jha, journalist at Down to Earth India, and Tazim Qureshi, independent journalist based in Bhubaneswar, Odisha. Thank you so much Raghuram Tazin and Suchita for agreeing to be on this episode. Before we go to the topic, tell us about yourself. Let's start with Suchita. How did you begin your professional journey? Which parts of India do you cover? How did you develop an interest in covering environment related stories? Uh hi everybody. Hi sir. Hi Tazin. Hi. Hi. So I'm Suchita and uh, I'm currently working with uh, Down to Earth. in uh, new delhi and uh, earlier i was working with the times of india in bhopal my journey as a as an environment reporter is pretty new so my career itself is very it's not uh, it's not a very long span of career uh, so um, i mean but now ours is a generation that has dealt with climate change it is it is something that we have heard from the very beginning and uh, i in my school we used to have a subject called environment education which also you know started uh, from a very early age we started uh, being sensitized uh, about uh, all these uh, things happening like you know how acs are uh, causing chlorofluorocarbons and depleting ozone layer and uh, you know how uh, pollution is being caused by emissions from vehicles and etc so these are all the studies that were done not very long ago and they were already included in our curriculum so it helped sensitize me towards it from a very young age and after i took up journalism i really wanted to you know maybe do something at least my bit that i could do so that was one of the reasons i chose this and uh, earlier when i was with the times of india i used to cover women and child development also and uh, despite not environment not being my beat back then i used to see how it is causing so many problems for women and especially in rural areas like due to the lack of water local bodies bodies drying sanitation was a big issue it was causing deaths uh, it was leading to malnutrition so all these things were kind of interwoven and there was like sir said that there is no story but an environment story I mean, every story can be an environment story if you actually look from the right angle so and uh, currently the speed at which we are going it is inevitable 
to not talk about so maybe i was uh, a little uh, not uh, i did not start as an environment journalist but i am pretty happy to at least uh, be in this field now and uh, talk about such issues and being in down to earth i am being given a platform and this opportunity to actually talk about really serious issues that are affecting millions and billions of people especially in our country so uh, that was pretty much it because uh, story has I, I, started yeah <laughs> i have yeah i have just began like 2 3 years ago so yeah also i just like to add that uh, when we were growing up i parents used to tell us a lot of stories about you know how things used to be in their time how they used to get a lot of uh, you know pure food and uh, not chemical induced or fortified food like we used to have because the natural minerals were depleted and they had to fortification to actually substitute and uh, make them healthy so uh, those were a few things that always used to raise a question in my mind as to why this is happening and whatever are we eating are we really taking in nutrition or is it just some sort of a supplement so ultimately after uh, covering so many stories i realized that how important <laughs> traditional farming was also and how it was nature friendly and uh, the all these harmful effects the uh, pesticides and chemicals had already caused us into our body so maybe if we start raising awareness now maybe in the next 30 years something might come out of it i am raguram i work in karnataka on the coastal plains and western ghats that area i used to work as a staffer for the hindu the dna and the indian express now i am freelancing i am with the 101 uh, reporters uh, plus also i work with the business standard for the uh, business news and uh, i work with khalij times sometimes you know as i'm a columnist there uh, in dubai so now why how and why i picked up this environmental journalism is a long story i will make it as short as possible uh, see when i was in mysore uh, i was doing my pu i was a health buff also i used to run for 4 5 kilometers every day and then there is a lake it is called kukarali lake kukarali kere is a very you know very uh, nice spot for all the birds migratory birds and all uh, then uh, when they i noticed that there were lots of hyacinth you know hyacinth that uh, uh, that kind of uh, weed that grows on the water and destroys the lake if it is allowed to cover it so it was coming uh, it was somehow it was coming and then uh, it was forming a layer on the water then i thought why is this happening it is tarnishing the beauty of the kukarali lake then i contacted my professor uh, in uh, maharaja's college yuraj's college a science college why is this happening botanist then he told uh, it is because of the infusion of sewage water into the lake so there i picked up the story and did a story for one paper called star of mysore this is in 1979 my first article they published it and then there was suddenly the star of mysore is a local newspaper english paper which picked up the story and they published gave it a good uh, uh, display and i they took photos and all the staffers went and all and it gave me a very big boost so it went on i started uh, then i switched on to hindu and i came to mangalore for uh, as a staff correspondent here and then i started think looking around you know environmental stories because that had kindled so much of interest in me then i looked around and there is lots of stories walking around and uh, for me uh, environment and stories go together if there is no environmental angle i will not do the story that kind of thing 
so what happened was i started i was a very avid motorcycle rider i went into different places in western ghats where there were roads there were no roads and mountains everywhere i'd been river beds and all i crossed the river on the motorcycle and all this kind of thing you know then and then i got attached to the photography also my son was a good photographer he gave me the camera and then i started clicking and all and then one uh, one very important story what i did was in the western ghats in the, towards kerala and uh, dakshin kannada that karnataka border there is a uh, plantation of cashew big cashew plantations and that all belong to the Karnataka and Kerala Cashew Development Authority they were spraying a very bad chemical called endosulfan it's a very poisonous thing it was sprayed to get rid of the tea mosquitoes but you know what happened then later along with the tea mosquitoes it killed lots of other entomological species even the bees common bees honey bees so this was an alarming situation nobody had thought about it and one of the farmers there who used to who used to grow gherkins you know gherkins tondekai tendlia he was growing that and then he told me once he was a friend of mine uh, he told me that this is all uh, wilting my all my s1 is wilting i don't know why and then uh, then when we talked together with some environmentalists and they opened up the thing and they are oh, spraying from the helicopter endosulfan as if they are raining poison it was happening for at least about 3 years and then we came to know at the end of 2 years then i stopped i started writing and hindu took it on national level and all the entomological experts and uh, you know the the fertilizers expert everybody came there and then there was a big uh, you know kind of movement against endosulfan and mine was the first article to appear on a national scale so that had a very big impact and now endosulfan is banned in kerala and karnataka so that thing you know gave me another boost and then it went on my journey went on then i started looking towards this uh, the corridors you know various infrastructure corridors being taken uh, through the western ghats uh, to reach bangalore so they were uh, oil uh, pipelines hpcls oil pipelines and then mrl and then uh, power lines then uh, water uh, and highways all these all these corridors are taking uh, through the taken through from mangalore to bangalore uh, through the western ghats eco sensitive western ghats and western ghats as you know is this part of western ghats has got three very very eco sensitive uh, installations that is one is uh, udremukh national park and bhimgarh national park and then uh, then nagarhole national so many national parks and tiger reserves also so what happened all these corridors started denuding forests and also bifurcating rivers bifurcating trifurcating and quadrifurcating also uh, all you know uh, totally destroy destruction total destruction of the western ghats so i started digging into these stories in the recent this is the last one i am going to quote there are many uh, this is the last one i am going to quote there was a inter basin river water transfer project called yattina hole which uh, you know after spending 22000 crores there is not a drop of water on the other side of the pipeline 
and we had opposed it 22000 crores and plus also denuding 75000 trees can you imagine the damage it has done to the western guards i can send you all uh, that the clipping of the story it's on my facebook also the damage was enormous and not even a drink not even drop of water at the end of the pipeline 280 kilometers away even today even in the in a rainy season last rainy season they started pumping not even a drop went we don't know where the water went and you know i keep on doing the stories like this so hi everyone my name is Tazin. it's so good to be here today to speak to all of you uh, i cover the eastern state of orissa and uh, i mean also i'm very new uh, to this whole concept of environment journalism so uh, my story is like uh, is, is not very interesting or you know something which is some a lot of instances to share uh, what i can tell you as uh, a correspondent from orissa i worked with a lot of channels also tv channels where my beat was about covering you know the local news the daily happenings and one of stories uh, that you get a chance to do an in-depth story. I have I had covered environment and climate change as you know one isolated story someday or the other, but not continue doing it. Neither had got into the whole concept of what it is, in-depth analysis or anything like that. But to say that I was not connected with this uh, with it is also incorrect because you know as a journalist or even as a reader, you keep hearing the term climate change. And I come from a coastal state, Orissa, where the impacts of climate change are there for everyone to see. So you want it or you don't want it, but you keep hearing about it. So there was some kind of uh, talk or in my subconscious, I was continuously hearing about it, you know, stories of conservation, the indigenous communities and their role. But I would say a major turning point sort of came with 101 reporters when I started writing for uh, Promins, their initiative where we had to talk about stories from grassroots level and then integrate the comments into it. And when I spoke to the editor there who I was assigned with, I realized there's so much to it and just on the surface that we see, okay, this is happening. You know, there's destruction of forests. There's, there's so much into it. You know, there's so many layers. And uh, that's what got me interested, not initially to just write, but initially just to know more about the subject. And that is how I started writing more about it, reading more about it. And uh, then, you know, when you are in a state like Orissa, you have the Similipal forest fires, you have this, um, you know, coastal maze because of climate change, you have all the natural disasters happening. So there's a lot of connect which you get. And I was really uh, fortunate to get connected with the right people to learn more from them. And I started reporting um, uh, on environment and climate change, try to make it my focus to know more. And I was, again, fortunate to have a lot of good editors who told me the, uh, you know, the layers that I need to find, you know, environment story can be political also and is political uh, in a lot of sense, it has an economic angle to it also. It can also have an art and culture angle to it also. So these are the layers I tried and uh, I've been writing on environment for about two years now um, and still writing my last story that I did on this topic was on uh, one year of Similipal forest fires, the devastating forest fires that have happened in 2021 and how things have changed or not changed. What are the hits and misses? So that was the latest story that I did on this. Nice, that's it. 
Yeah, actually, I read that story and also Suchita's story in um, Sagar district about the forest survival there, how they turned yeah, the barren history. land into, yeah. Yeah, that was one uh, was... good example of uh, forest Super. restoration. Yeah. So we'll go to the next question now. What are the different kinds of climate impacts that the rural areas are generally facing? Does local communities in that place, what are the initiatives they're taking? How are they reacting? See, uh, in our area, region, what we call from Goa to Kerala, there is a, uh, there's a lots of interest generated uh, uh, about the uh, environmental and all. And also this being close to the sea, you know what happens is these industries are there are at least 100 polluting industries in a matter of 220 kilometers of the coastline. From Goa, Goa is a mining uh, and chemical uh, uh, region. And then Karnataka has so many polluting industries on the coastal area and Kerala is just starting up. So what happens is uh, the main impact is on the Western, uh, Western Ghats as well as the Arabian Sea. So all our uh, environmental uh, uh, struggles uh, for environmental sanity, we have to look towards the effects that is generated in the sea. So in our initiatives, you know, not our initiative means not mine alone. There's a whole lot of people involved, the fishermen, the agriculturals, uh, agricultural uh, laborers, and then uh, uh, there are few traditional industries which depend on uh, the environment uh, and the sea. Basically, the fishermen are taking very good initiatives in our area. I think it should be same in uh, Orissa also. So, uh, this uh, fishermen uh, very big support. Uh, uh, what happens is, uh, whatever happens to the sea, environmental degradation, marine environmental degradation affects the fishermen first. So they are the barometers of the, you know, the damage that is to the sea. They started complaining about the fish depleting, especially the low value, high volume fishes like, uh, uh, like, uh, like mackerels and stains. They're migrating because of the change in the quality of the coastal waters say about indian ees that you know the uh, exclusive economic zones is up to 200 kilometers and you know what happened these boats were not going to the 200 kilometers they were small boats you know trawlers and all they're not multi-day fishing uh, so they started finding there's no fish it was 1993 to 1997 was the degradation started happening that was when the petrochemical industry started coming into the coastal areas of the country first time. So what happened if the Vijayawada is having one petrochemicals complex, Chennai is having one, but the degradation here started late, but very fast because the petrochemicals complex, what we have now is very high potent. So the all the pollutants started going into the sea. So all these fishes that used to bring the local fishermen, their bread and butter vanished. The tonnage of uh, the fish fish catch for local uh, varieties like mackerels and uh, few squids and uh, 
types of squids and a few uh, fast travelies and all those things started getting uh, just vanishing so whereas in goa those fishes were found in gujarat those fishes were found so then we started thinking about it then uh, we started the greater environmental movement for the saving western guards not western guards but the arabian sea this gave us a very big boost huh? so in the meanwhile uh, the government cleared another uh, polluting industry that is you know that uh, coal based thermal plants that was a big 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 blow to us the entire coastal areas even the aircraft started feeling the heat of the coal you know there's a bajpe airport is just about 15 kilometers away from uh, our even they rerouted their flights all the flights coming from dubai and all they started rerouting it because of the heat the pilots started com- complaining and all so uh, that was done and the uh, most important thing was uh, treating our waste you know mangalore and these areas are uh, always like very fast growing areas and they are generating about 300 to 400 tons of civic waste and they don't know what to do with that that was one more initiative the local people took i must congratulate people like dinesh holda and then there is uh, there are lots of people around like that i can't name them all but they did a wonderful splendid job and they said they they never looked back they didn't even want anything for themselves they are so you know committed uh, now we have our own uh, this region, this mangalore city the most important coastal city on the western goa western coast apart from mumbai panaji uh, panaji is a small uh, city mangalore is a growing city apart from cochin Tiruvannathapuram uh, and uh, Ernakulam, Bangalore is the, the very fastest growing city in the western. Uh, so now we are now we have a uh, uh, waste treating plant, and then we solid waste management plants, and all this because of uh, the local uh, initiative and the media presence. Media presence. Media is highly sensitive in Bangalore. in the entire western coast i must say karnataka coast the 302 kilometers uh, stretch of karnataka coast is full of environmental activist journalists i am one of them i am to say that so the very uh, very prominent attack that can be seen in uh, rural areas especially that affects the farmers a lot is the increase in diseases in crops diseases and pest attacks in crops which are rising because they are getting more favorable conditions because of climate change so right now the latest story i did was on uh, the effects uh, on the you know uh, destroyed ruined crop of garlic in madhya pradesh because uh, there was a pest called thrips in the crops so because of this pest and the, the because the heat suddenly rose from march after the hail storm it suddenly became very very hot so there was high humidity high heat favored the conditions and most of the uh, farmers had to suffer huge losses because all their garlic was uh, destroyed they could not get a good rate for it so they invested something they did not get a return so that is the one of the most common and most prominent things that we are seeing on a very regular basis earlier i don't uh, i cannot very surely say but earlier they used to be some very you know sporadic events like that but abhi every now and then we are hearing like this crop got to and that crop got to so every every other year it's happening then uh, there is of course uh, because water bodies are drying up so there are uh, migration is one of the biggest issues people are migrating they are leaving their homelands and 
living if, even if they have like uh, like in maharashtra so uh, maharashtra everybody knows that sugarcane cutting is a very big occupation there and because uh, people from there migrate to other cities for cutting sugarcane in at least for 6 months at a time so uh, this is happening and earlier the locals there when i went to maratwada for covering a story so the locals they told me that earlier people who had small land holdings maybe like one or two acres they could not cultivate a lot because there was low water they did not uh, need to migrate okay but now that uh, you know it is increasing now that the climate change is increasing and the water table is going further down even the people who have like 10 12 acres of land they have to migrate for sugarcane cutting so the standard of living has fallen drastically the nutrition level has fallen drastically which is a direct impact of climate change then uh, then i would also like to add here that uh, Oh, so there are some villages that are uh, the local community is also participating in this like the forestry to the restoration story that we spoke about in theory in sagar so uh, i'll just give a gist of the story uh, that there was a project by the it was a project a combined project by government of india and government of canada to replant a barren land on the hillside in deori which is a, a small village in sagar district of madhya pradesh so uh, when they planted uh, trees like neem and you know all those so called nice trees they started you know, the plantation but those were not able to survive because there was no water there so they needed extra care and uh, and you know uh, looking after and water which was already not there so these trees couldn't grow but during this project one the one good thing came out that they uh, started uh, stopping the animals from grazing in the area and they also started uh, stopped human interaction with the forest so all the underlying roots of the trees of the sal trees that were there since ages and that had been chopped off they started reviving the older trees started growing just because there was no grazing so uh, earlier what used to happen was as soon as a tree used to sprout back or used to start the local uh, bovine used to uh, eat those now uh, since the area had been declared as a protected area because of this project uh, it was not exactly a, like it's not a protected area but for that period of time it was uh, it was protected by the locals so they, they saw that the tree stored itself it regenerated and after that they decided they had also this awakening that okay we cannot keep using everything for a selfish need so even today the for the people of the local community they do not collect twigs they do not they just keep the forest ground clean so that there is no forest fire but other than that they do not do any commercial activity for for their from from that forest and their main aim now is to protect that forest and to pass it to the next generation and because of this forest the rainfall pattern in that area has become normal again so this 20 25 year of initiative has if this small change can lead to a regularizing of rain in a such a small area it was a very low cost project because all they needed was to protect the area from uh, human and animal interaction and it restored itself so there was was a low cost uh, low cost project and uh, right now the locals are enjoying themselves because they have the water cycle is back and they even the local farmers say that the water table has uh, been lifted then there are some uh, villages in the satna and panna district of madhya pradesh who undertake projects of uh, you know reviving their old water bodies so old all the woods and all the uh, nars and 
things that had been polluted with plastic and that had been dried up. So they make efforts to clean it. Some some or the other NGO helps them out with it also. But it is mostly by the locals because they initiate that, uh, okay, now at this point of time, we cannot afford to lose more water bodies. So they started reviving their older uh, wells and all these things. And now uh, uh, they started growing their kitchen gardens also. So uh, there was a case study of a woman whose daughter was severely malnourished. So after the uh, well, just right beside her house, was restored, she started a kitchen garden. And because of the vegetables from those kitchen gar- from that kitchen garden, she gave her tomatoes, spinach, uh, fruits of all kinds. So because of that nutrition, her she could pull her daughter out of malnutrition. So a treatment for which she would have spent like thousands of rupees and probably nothing would, would have come out of it. And also this is a very remote village. So going to a doctor and coming back is not an easy task. So she just took matters in her own hands just because she had one. So these local initiatives, they go a long way in ensuring the health of communities as well. So these are some of the uh, efforts that have really inspired me and uh, helped me maybe see hope in a very big world because the stories that we do every day so shows a very negative picture and it is very depressing at times but these small efforts they may be present like a ray of hope to us also just one last point on this that uh, the manrega scheme uh, that uh, runs in uh, rural areas so um, it is one of the one of the major programs that ensures livelihood and also uh, the village panchayats can ensure as to what projects they want to take up so that uh, those uh, in one study I was reading that uh, India's social security program around uh, sequester 249 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent till 2030. So that is a very big initiative. And if these local panchayats also do their own bit, it can be a totally different world. When we really talk about the impact on rural communities, um, you know, the first thing is Orissa being a coastal state, the impact is much more visible and clear. Now, I'm going to give you instances to like talk about these individual cases. There's a district called Kendrapara in Orissa. Now, this district, there are villages, it's called Satkadhaya, seven villages, which got completely washed away. So, this is the ingression that I'm talking about. The major reason, of course, was climate change. Uh, but there were, of course, industrial um, issues also, which led to it. So the impact now, what happens is these villagers had to be rehabilitated. When they were rehabilitated, their primary source of agriculture, that was lost. So when that happened, there's a livelihood issue. And that livelihood issue led to migration. These people started migrating to different cities, mostly down south. So this is one of the you know, case case studies that I'm talking about. Similarly, if we talk about a little interior region, uh, when let's say we are talking about um, Asia's second largest biosphere reserve, this is Similipal. When we talk about that, uh, there's been the climate change uh, has led to, you know, a shift in rainfall pattern. Now, if you look at Odisha's traditional rainfall pattern, it has been changing over the years. Now, due to this change, there has been a lot of imbalance. So, when the rainfall, so a lot of forest fire is dependent on the climate. The studying the microclimate is very important when we talk about forest fire. 
and that is one of the reasons why you know we witnessed a devastating forest fire last year because there was no rainfall activity there sporadic rainfall activity in the month of january february which sort of stops these fires and this is because of climate change and when we talk about forest there are indigenous communities living inside the similipal uh, tiger reserve and also in the periphery and they were directly impacted so again if i again come back to coastal region there's another puri of course is a town which is very famous uh, for its um, religious uh, significance now there was a project that was initiated and it got a lot of uh, uh, you, you know media uh, coverage which talked about how that city has become first in india to supply clean potable water to all its households so what has basically happened is you can just open the tap in any household in puri town and start drinking water so that was the thing that was reported but when i went to cover that story i realized one of the reasons why this is happening is because the ground level the ground water of puri was completely exhausted and this was one of the reasons they had to take this project up and supply water so they had to create a structure dam sort of a structure and filter water and supply directly to the people homes primarily because the ground water there you know was almost completely exhausted so if you look at the impacts it varies when you talk about the coastal side it varies it's different for when you talk about the interior areas uh, but if you see the major impacts would be livelihood issues uh, then migration and uh, sucheta also talked about diseases which i want to add on now again these shift in rainfall and the climate uh, shift has also made the environment very conducive for certain parasites which has also resulted in areas like uh, korap port malkangiri where there is a rise in cases of malaria japanese encephalitis this is because it you know it become the environment has become really conducive for such things and these are the direct impacts that you feel uh, and you can see for yourself that is happening along now having said that a lot of onus on the mitigation measures uh, you can give it to the local communities i won't directly say the panchayat for that matter because the village committees i feel here are doing much more than um, you know uh, an organized administrative structure and to mention and not to forget the role of women here so especially in the indigenous communities now in nayagarh in mayurbhanj these are the two districts that i'm talking about where women actually hold sticks and go to the forest to sort of conserve them so basically if there is somebody coming to cut trees they threat they threaten them with their sticks it's lo- in the local language it's called hingapalli so they basically threaten them and they drive them away and this has actually happened in nayagarh i can tell you there's a village called gunduri badi now it's very difficult to keep the exact statistics but uh, as far as i've spoken to environmentalists there and activists almost 500 acres of forest land had been regenerated just because of a group of women and most of them very elderly who would every morning and evening walk to the forest and you know threaten anybody who comes to cut trees and the very simple logic it also happens in other districts it's not just restricted to nayagarh and the simple logic why they basically ask women to go it up front is because they say the easiest thing is if a man comes to cut tree 
he will not use violence on a woman he'll he'll think twice but when a man goes the way obviously there's a physical tussle that can be involved and for that simple reason women take a lot of initiative also they think it is their onus you know it's their responsibility it is the forest which gives them livelihood which earns helps them earn money so it's their onus to protect the forest and uh, culturally of course we all know that indigenous communities have a lot of relation with the forest so that is that is one thing which is very interesting and um, uh, you know the other thing while again uh, i was doing the similipal forest fire stories where i realized that uh, this was a survey done independently by an ngo which had found out that when the fire the uh, fire had happened last year in similipal reserve the fire points had actually happened in areas around villages which had not got their rights uh, community forest rights or any kind of titles and the areas which where village were given a some kind of a responsibility or some kind of an onus even if there was a fire fire point it was extinguished in let's say a couple of hours 3 4 hours at max but in the other places it took it kept burning for let's say 8 hours 9 hours which virtually led to the you know entire area getting burnt down so the uh, and they have a map actually which uh, shows those points so that basically suggests the kind of role the village committees have and when i spoke to the local people out there also one realization and observation that came in you know apart from the measures that the district uh, administration has their own policies which is done by the village committee and it's not written law or anything it's an unwritten rule where they basically if, you know if you there are a lot of laws if you basically spot a fire a person has to immediately shout and alert the villagers and every villager when i say every villager it is their rule every villager has to rush to the point and try to douse that fire you can leave out sick uh, people sick elderly people or women if required if there is a valid reason and all others are have to be on spot to douse the fire if you don't there'll be a fine implemented so the community itself has a lot of uh, such rules and regulations which they implement and which is sort of really helping uh you know contain all uh, the spread and all of that and in odisha specifically the reason why i keep mentioning women because they have a major role to play in most of the uh you know in most of these measures um, uh, that they take that they take uh, so yeah these were some of the examples uh, just to uh, talk about the initiatives and if i can i'm sure another last instance which i mentioned will be known to a lot of people uh, mangala jodi which is a place where which is a story i also did for 101 reporters which is a place where a lot of people um, you know it, it used to be a poaching land you know there are a lot of birds that migratory birds that um, come to that place every winter and uh, the inhabitants of that villages and the surrounding villages would hunt them and get a lot of money out of it and the whole story is uh, the presiding deity so the local deities also play a important role so once what happened somebody who was really concerned about the environment said let's do one thing let's take a pledge in the name of local deity which is kalijai ma kalijai which is you know where the chilka lake is and let's not kill or let's not hunt these birds and this is what happened they just took a pledge and from that day the poachers became you know conservationists they stopped anybody who would enter they would take their boats in you know deep into that area where migratory birds 
so they could identify you know because they were hunters they could identify where they would get those migratory birds they would literally keep a vigil and anybody would come they would stop uh, them from hunting the birds and now chilka has been getting a lot of record number of migratory birds every year so a lot of this of course our district administration had a lot to do with it of um, they sort of encouraged and did all these awareness programs but a lot of initiatives that have been taking place the onus is on the village committees and a lot on women as well there's one more interesting uh, thing i would like to add uh, i mean it is based on what uh, tazeen said uh, so um, in uh, like i spoke to the odisha forest officials while they were uh, you know on the uh, for the jagannath yatra the when the wood with the logs were being taken so in that during that uh, there was an observation that uh, was made that said that most of the wood uh, for the that had come from the local uh, from the from out of of out of the forest like tofs a trees outside forest instead of the forests so when i spoke to uh, the um, the people there and uh, the odisha people they told me that this time most of the wood came from the forest because uh, came from the private land owners instead of the forest because the wood had already depleted in the forest and there were conservation efforts going on uh, during this conversation uh, the uh, sorry the circle officer uh, he's mr mohapatra manoj and dr manoj kumar mohapatra who is the ifs he said that uh, they use a wood called uh, dharwa if my fan pronouncing it right so the, the dharwa wood which is used for the logs uh, of the jagannath or lord jagannath uh, it is uh, they have observed that it is uh, slower to grow now because as the climate is changing and as the water bodies as the mahanadi water is depleting they have to find other fertile uh, fertile areas so because of this the dharwa uh, tree it takes 80 years to reach a girth of 6 feet so 6 feet is the maximum girth the sorry the minimum girth that they need for the for making the wheels so he said that in the next few years we will observe that because of climate change this 80 year period of time it takes 80 years to reach that 6 6 feet girth now in a few years we are seeing that the growth has slowed down and it might start taking it 100 years to reach that 6 feet girth so this is uh, something uh, at a very ground level which was observed by the forest officials because of climate change and another thing there is uh, like uh, tanzin said that there is a village in uh, balaghat district of uh, madhya pradesh that has not seen a single forest fire in the last 150 years i did that story for 101 reporters while i was freelancing last year so uh, in that that is the only because the villagers take responsibility for the forest it is not a it is not a protected forest it is not even on forest land it is a renew uh, area which is forested which has trees but they take so much uh, interest in protecting the forest that they clear out the leaves as soon as the after right after autumn they make sure that all the leaves all the dry grass is clear dry grass in that area is cleared out and they use that grass to also thatch their Uh, roofs and it is also used for some rites from like religious rituals so they ensure that they do not uh, make it into a commercial activity but just to keep the forest floor clean so that there is no fuel for the fire so that is also yeah like one of the big initiatives that some local communities are taking i would uh, uh, instance is that uh, you know uh, when this uh, indian navy 
was bombarding it was treating the last archipelago island called netrani it's near bhatkal okay they were using that last archipelago island as a target practice for target practice and there uh, uh, you know lots of degradation because that is the last island in that area which had formed after the sea has taken over the land of western ghats okay i did a story on that and the local fisherman even before i did the story the local fisher woman they revere that uh, this uh, that uh, netrani island as something god given okay and they have they have they do pujas once in often after the monsoons every monsoons a flotilla of uh, people go there and then do pujas and all women now that was being bombarded i took few fisher women and fishermen in a boat and i saw a big shells you know shells you know about what uh, navy bombardment is uh, one they were all there uh, some of them are not exploded some areas are full of uh, this uh, uh, toxic dust uh, you know comes out of the uh, uh, the fillings of the shells and all so what happened was i was aghast and i came to know that there are many marine and uh, uh, this uh, avian uh, species that are extinct only it is found here that is called white breasted eagle the only place in india and southeast asia that it is found so they were destroying it. then i uh, i went on to the island with the help of a fisherman this one and then i saw the damage and did a story for dna next day uh, additional director general of police cid forest mr k s n chikkerur called me he had filed a writ petition against the indian navy based on my article he told me ragu i have full faith in your writing please support me in this and he hired one advocate called deepak who is also an environmental advocate so he they they won the case the navy stopped but you know not forever they again started but then the high court of bangalore taking my article as uh, the evidence they start they summoned the western range commander malhotra they told with one stroke of pen they said leave alone netrani just three words leave alone netrani one order they gave that's the end of bombardment so these are the few stories you know that comes from the locals you know how i got the whiff of it when i was there is a nice hotel in uh, in batkal i was driving from goa i was riding from goa on my enfield i stopped over for this uh, one biryani hotel by the coast and i asked the fisherman uh, the guy there who served food can you give me some fish he said so fishing is stopped now we don't have fresh fish i can give you a week back fish <laughs> i said no why you have stopped then he told the navy has ordered not to fish uh, in batkal and 20 kilometers around this is 19 kil 19 nautical miles from batkal so they had stopped when the navy asks them you can restart resume fishing they will start
otherwise no work they're just loitering around drying fish and you know and whatever is uh, little what they can spend or they can earn they do it so this lo local fisherman gave me the link to the event so the local fishermen and the local people you know they are always they have their ears to the ground they know what's happening so whatever hot shot writers we are uh, or not or what kind of uh, environmental journalists are we are it all comes from the people basically you know the local guys and girls and how they fight it they fight for their livelihood you know 20 days of bombardment of netrani village you know what kind of loss the fishermen undergo there they said because of this, every month every 45 days 20 days no fishing they go become casual laborers somewhere they have their boats they can't fish they go and carry loads to the trucks these kind of things are happening so the whatever the initiate initiative we do unless there is local people we can't do a thing about it that's really inspiring like i uh, it's really good that i'm hearing those initiatives happening in rural areas and the one which ruchita and tazin was saying that you know i've read read it in 101 like i've gone through the those stories and it's really uh, inspiring because women taking initiative and they think that uh, you know that forest and those uh, natural resources are their livelihood if that is gone they are gone they don't have anything to do that is their uh, thing so that's why they in whatever manner they can they they try to protect them the thing is like the communities are doing these initiatives to do uh, to protect environment and the things so what is the local government or panchayat is initiatives are doing when you when you are covering any stories uh, in the past uh, have you come across what what uh, what was their response and are they really thinking about environment the local uh, panchayats and governments there what are the steps regarding this the local governments they have a mandate the local self governments be it uh, the city municipal council municipal corporation the city corporations uh, nagar panchayats the, even the state government and the district administration they have a mandate uh, before taking up any project that has got environmental impact on the environmental uh, aspect they will have to call for a public hearing which is not happening but after the petrochemicals uh, uh, industry started coming on the coastal areas not not alone in karnataka even in tamil nadu kerala orissa west uh, bengal and gujarat uh, maharashtra all these places the district administrations have been given um, uh, have been empowered to hold public meetings whatever the public hearing gives a verdict uh, to, they will have to recommend to the moef you know ministry of uh, forests and environment so this has been happening regularly uh, because in one case and the green tribunal also is there they are also making their uh, presence felt nowadays in one particular issue uh, there is one forest area 
this is the last lung lung area of the coastal city of mangalore uh, it is it is something closer to 25 acres lush green forest even the sunlight comes doesn't come in there that kind of thick forest it's in a place called padil but one foolish officer deputy commissioner about three regions back he orders that the old building of deputy commissioner's office in mangalore city has to be vacated and made and should make way for a new building new building spacious building and uh, and all the facilities in, included so he chooses this 25 acres of land without even a public hearing they started cutting down the trees and one of my friends who was in times of india he told me hey, ragu see this thing is happening uh, you uh, call yourself an environmental uh, activist why don't you do something story on that and give me a copy of that so i will publish it so it is mutual so and next thing they are already happily cutting down they got saw and all chains or they call they are happily denuding the forest then suddenly there was no public hearing the deputy commissioner was supposed to uh, hold a public hearing he didn't so then their work stopped the green tribunal came in a few environmental activists also uh, started uh, raised objection in green tribunal and you know the moe of uh, local area and all, all those things happened they stopped but you know, then the person who is in the government he went against the green tribunal uh, stay to the high court of karnataka high court cleared it so now 45% of the forest there is denuded the land is degenerated we see uh, lumps of you know uh, this young birds young birds you know they are about not yet ready to fly they are all huddled there in a corner and these things are ghastly things are happening there and the the the, the deputy commissioners who are supposed to be the custodian of environment also and the public interest they are not uh, they are not active it is not only here it happened in manipal also udupi district and you know even in karwar where they were building a dakshin kannada i mean uttar kannada jilla uh, panchayat office and they say we have compensatory forests whatever they cut it here they plant somewhere else we don't know whether they plant or not are they planting the same species the endemic species we don't know that and uh, you know suddenly uh, there is changes the heat is rising the rainfall is coming down in volumes whom to blame and you know the, for uh, for reason uh, for reason or no reason entire cities roads are being concretized and you know generation of heat these things you know the local administrations will have to take care which they are not yeah so uh, like uh, rafisar said uh, some uh, i have also in my uh, travels because uh, working with down to earth it is a very uh, good opportunity that i get to travel across the country and uh, so far i have visited four states so uh, when i was in uh, uh, rajasthan in jaisalmer so basically i was doing a story on the great indian bustard which is the state bird of rajasthan it is also called godavari 
so it is on the verge of extinction and it is on the verge of extinction because it uh, the grasslands there are being denuded and they are being occupied by the solar plants and wind farms to generate electricity now uh, as part of the cfr fund of the big companies who are putting up their projects there they are supposed to do some afforestation of the same species in the villages wherever they are occupying the land but this is not happening and also there is um, Uh, there's a biodiversity small community called biodiversity community of every village which works in collaboration with the panchayats and all this cfr responsibility to restore the environment is supposed to happen along with those community along with that committee of the uh, panchayat but the panch panches themselves they are unaware of what is happening they see that they cut down the trees of khejri which is the which is a bushy which is a thorny kind of a tree and camels eat eat that tree khejri and tenti and there are all local species they cut down those trees and they plant palm and neem and all those things which cannot survive in a desert like environment semi arid environment they cannot survive now uh, here two things are happening first even if the companies are trying they are not doing it in accordance with the panchayats because they would have helped them guide that uh, you know what all trees should be planted here what is beneficial for our environment nothing thrives here thrives in rajasthan so that is one of the local species there are berries in another uh, the tenti that i am they have another name for it uh, they they there are berries after which they make pickles so that is their local food so now if you are planting neem how are they going to eat it so uh, panchayats are being overruled like crazy Uh, and uh, uh, this is very unfortunate because the uh, they have they have on paper they have enough power to stop whatever is happening in their village all these uh, you know anti environmental activities but uh, they are not being heard. and uh, there's a uh, recently there was a test on the hasdeo project of chatisgarh uh, where hasdeo mining project where the parsa block was given for uh, it was given the second stage clearance uh, by the state government for mining but here again it's a very large forest and it will be denuded if this uh, continues and no gram survive it uh, it affects six villages whole uh, mining project and none of the patna gram sabhas was ready to let this but the bits and the local administration the, the the district administrators they had a floor meeting with the panchayats and they got consent form so apparently as of that it got cleared for the second stage clearance as well because the panchayats were pressurized to give their consent when they did not want so uh, this is something i mean uh, for this i would uh, really uh, like to see an initiative where the first panchayat is being heard and some positive things have come out although they like i told you about the mega thing so they have that much power that they can you know create so many activities like restoration of old water bodies of forests of providing employment of you know going back to their local seeds instead of the hybrid seeds that use more water but they also need backing from the higher authorities as well because if they are being overruled by the higher authorities who are actually supposed to protect their interests then of course they are helpless i also second uh, raghusran's in this matter like for example I'll, i'll tell you about one story uh, this is in um, kalahandi kalahandi district of odisha and uh, this i'm talking about kallapat wildlife uh, sanctuary uh, this this is about last year when what happened is um, 
that the government had done soil testing of that area and had also uh, you know uh, announced fresh auction of mines all of this process had started without any gram sabha being held now the the government in its defense had said the gram sabha will happen because now it was just a process that had begun but the villagers said when we are going to you know object to it why not first talk to us and you know take our point but this is what happened and um, there was police presence everywhere and uh, this i'm talking again is a very interior part so it becomes also very difficult for you know people from the main city to reach there and uh, that is also an advantage for the stakeholders who are involved and uh, so this is what eventually of course um, the, it went to it was a legal battle and it was anyway stayed uh, the fresh auction of my what i'm trying to do is this process of gram sabhas and which a local administration would have a lot of part to play in it but again is neglected and i think the best example to talk about this is you know the posco agitation uh, you know everyone has really heard about it when this coin uh, steel giant visited odisha and they wanted to establish an industry and they had a lot of demands because they also wanted to build a port um and the industry of course there were a lot of protest women and children again taking the center stage of that protest and um, you know the police brutality were actually recorded on cameras somehow that protest got a lot of media attention and the tron posco finally exited the whole um uh, place and there's another project that is come in same village about dhinkia Dinkia was new in news again in Madhya when there was police presence. Now, this this is a small village that I'm talking about, which is very close to the seashore, and there's a beetle vine uh, cultivation that goes on there, and this has been going on for ages now, for generations. They've been engaged in that, and they get a lot of money to sustain just from beetle vine cultivation. So they were able to thwart the POSCO project, but again, when the general project is happening this time the beetle vines have been destroyed and uh, uh, you know the villagers had gathered to sort of go to that place when their vines beetle vines were being destroyed they wanted to go and stop it the police have literally lathi charged them and i went to that place and i can i i've seen it from my own eyes that you know the elderly people with bandages unable to walk and a lot of them didn't even want to speak on record because they had been threatened so for example i spoke to x and i published their quote with their name of the piece where i am and actually beat them take them out detain them arresting the even and religious told me about a lot of instances like that so it was even very because you could anyone so when you talk about the local administration police of course becomes a part of it and when you are sort of trying to do this to people who are protesting for their own rights uh, you can see the kind of involve, involvement that they have so uh, so i think it's when it comes down to the administration there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of stakeholders involved and which makes it very difficult but you know had what the village communities and these indigenous communities being doing for the environment had that been taken care of i'm sure we would have been in a much better position uh then we are um, you know now the kind of support they would have got in sundargarh for example the land rights nayagarh that i was talking about where you know women are conserving forest a uh, lot of them tell me that you know we have sent applications to get the land rights uh, to get the ownership 
but you know it's just lying there they would just put put any you know it's difficult to get sort of the documents also documentation is also difficult in villages so they would just place any condition and say that no this cannot happen and that is a major challenge so at a time when you know these people need support to sort of make things better for us a lot of time they just have to receive the backlash and they are always at the receiving end so this is this is unfortunate which i think not just in the case of one particular state but which is happening all around and like i said it's just not donors is not on the district administration but there are a lot of stakeholders at the national and uh, national level involved and it's an it's unfortunate but um, you know that's the truth what do you think on a larger scale like the governments like state governments and central government should ensure what are the steps they should take to uh, focus on rural specific programs regarding environment uh, see the state and central government uh, they go by the rule book right initiatives are much sorted when it comes to environmental protection as going by the rule book but that is not happening why is it not happening because of the political overtones for every activity be it development uh, environmental or social economical whatever it is not happening whether we accept it or not it is not happening and this is happening this apathy is due to the inactiveness there is not many not many activists nowadays in rural areas people have to go from the city and perk them up okay the cities have their own problems you see uh, i told you about this uh, uh, about this uh, problem of honey bees vanishing from western ghats it is thickly populated not thickly populated actually uh, it is populated area in sulya sulya is which is nearer to western ghats okay on the other side madikeri there were no honey bees for 10 years so what happened was then there were some uh, beekeepers in puttur next uh, next to sulya puttur they took the colonies of bees honey bees and planted it there in the uh, in sulya area where it was affected by the endosulfan here the government starts objecting because the kerala lobby the communist lobby there they objected to the kerala government for repopulating the karnataka people repopulating the bees there they said it's a commercial activity and they can't cross the political borders you know jur- political jurisdiction what they call it they were looking at a different angle they were looking at losing their prominence over the local people and over the local people against the people from karnataka the local people are puppets in the hands of the political ideology be it congress leftist rightist or centrist what you whatever you call them they are being colonized this is what is preventing from the state and central government taking the right initiatives as per the rule book this is what i found during various uh, uh, stories i did uh for not only environmental for other reasons also
so uh, totally i would um, i would just like to add on this that uh, whenever a state government or a central government or central government brings a project in an area suppose we are talking about like i gave you the example of uh, great indian bustard dying or the loss of habitat for the state bird of rajasthan because of projects like solar parks and then you know it's electrocution because of the high tension wires so that is a much talked out talked about project in the country at present but uh, again it was uh, okayed by the state government it was okayed by the central government and the cases being filed and this and all those things going on but uh, any such project when it comes to a village i would just want that okay fine nobody is against development we know that we need energy and we know that we have to reach net zero so all these targets of course are in line with india's uh, bigger targets to you know be a greener country to sequester sequester more carbon to reduce less pollution and uh, of course all these things but when it reaches a village it destroys the livelihood of those people and they are then forced to do odd jobs like you know work as a guard in that solar company which actually uprooted his whole family or work as you know in an adjoining city where they have to you know struggle for two meals a day here they had a lot of land where they could keep keep camels keep cows get them to graze earn from their milk uh, you know make handicrafts out of you know care so there's a whole rural economy and every state of india has its own separate Uh, rural economy because uh, it's a diverse country so we cannot expect same thing to happen in a village of kerala that is happening in jaisalmer or something something different would obviously be happening in a village of uh, himachal pradesh so any livelihood economy that is happening is a lifestyle of the people that is also preserving the local culture there because camel milk is a very important part of uh, jaisalmer and you know we they offer it to tourists who come to jaisalmer there's also an institute in uh, near bikaner which is uh, you know with that makes ice creams and stuff but where did it start it started from the local people but if you will hinder progress of the local people if you will prevent them from utilizing their own resources just because you need to capitalize it for some some bigger gain that is not done you have to ensure the local people get their their livelihood in use uninterrupted their livelihood their lives get better and if there is a energy project that will okay that project has been set up in jaisalmer and that will provide electricity to the citizens of delhi it is our responsibility also to ensure that their lives are not destroyed because of that project so those little factors have to be kept in mind everywhere and anywhere whenever they bring any i mean be it mining be it green energy be it nuclear be it or whatever they have to ensure that the locals don't suffer because this is happening all across the country and those are the biggest stakeholders who can actually help in reversing climate change who can actually help in protection of local species of micro environments or climate change so they because their local uh, livelihood is based on that economy they know how to use it, use it without exploiting it so you cannot destroy their uh, their whole life because of one project so that is something that all governments i mean not just our state governments every every country in the world should ensure that you know the locals are not negatively impacted if you are bringing in a development project I agree to actually all the points that have been made. Um, 
you know it all boils down to the fact that how effectively things are implemented as well uh you know if you talk about mining for example we've all known about you know over exhausting uh, the mining capacity from you know different mines and now there are a lot of rulings especially coming from odisha where they're imposing a lot of hefty amount on particular uh you know on particular companies for over exhaustion and all of that but it just boils down to the fact that it could have been avoided content without knowledge is just not possible so it just boils down to the fact that we have a not really got the involvement of the local communities because if i'm trying to talk about one particular community i'm trying to talk about the development of their community trying to give them livelihood opportunities to not have them in the discussion doesn't make sense and which is what is happening at a lot of places and unfortunately it cannot get the kind of media attention that you know perhaps something in a metro city would get and that is why it just gets away as well uh, without any public knowledge so the first thing would be to you know involve the communities whose life has been impacted the most and get them into the dialogue process uh, and understand their concerns and uh, then maybe take decisions and this is perhaps what almost every activist would also and the second thing is uh, you know when we talk about environment there are lo- there are other stakeholders we discuss are involved so there has to be a sort of collaboration when we of different departments of different stakeholders when a decision is taken uh, for example there is a green agriculture project that is going on and you know there are five landscapes in india where this project is going on the main idea why this project had started was basically to sort of collaborate different departments concerned departments and take decisions that will not impact the environment for example it's when you talk about i mean there's uh, agriculture Uh, there's an environment this forest so all these departments come together under this project and there's a this is basically a collaboration that happens uh now it started off with a lot of um, you know it got a lot of interest and i'm not sure i've not followed it up so i don't know where the project lies right now but the answer to this would be one effective implementation of cooperation between the existing stakeholders and the existing departments uh, you know that directly impact the environment and um, so i think these three points would be really important when you want to talk about uh, the kind of change that can be effected at least now even if it's late but yeah it feels better to do it now than late uh, this is one more point that i would like to add that uh, there's a rule for you know there's a there's a law for protection of forests there's an act for it there is no act for the protection of grasslands or protection of you know other uh, open natural ecosystems like swamps or marshes so okay we declare them as uh, for, you know like a ramsar site or something so but that happens very late but not just those there are local ecosystems that are considered as barren lands but barren is not barren land was a very colonized term that was given to the places which supposedly according to the colonizers were not productive but they have their own ecosystem they have their own microclimate so you cannot expect to make everything useful according to your own terms being useful doesn't have to fall in your definition of useful so if it is a grassland if it is a grazing ground for uh, cattle if it is the uh, how which is the habitat of lizards 
or desert cats or such birds like the great dinosaur and extra and so there are so many desert there are so many species of birds that are actually found and found in the grasslands there are birds that nest underground instead of building nests on trees so if all these grasslands are termed as barren lands and you know when they are uh, given up for a project to make them useful this only destroys the habitat so this barren barren land term has to be done away with this wasteland term sorry not barren wasteland term has to be done away with for the protection of these open natural ecosystems so that is something the state and central government should work on thank you so much everyone for uh, you now accepting this invite and joining us in this episode So nice. Thank you, Tejas. Uh, it was very nice meeting Kanzeen and uh, Raghuram sir and Jayji. So thanks for uh, including me, and it was a pleasure to be. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so, to Kanzeen, Suchita, and uh, Tejas. Thank you for listening to the India Energy R. Subscribe to this channel to never miss an update. To drop us a feedback, visit our website or write to us at. the india energy r at gmail dot com. We are on Twitter. You can follow at t i e h underscore podcast and get in touch with the two hosts at shreya underscore j and at sandeep pai with double i.